Warning, this show may contain adult language that is not suitable for all audiences. This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Welcome to the interview edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter, and we've got a lot of great interviews to get to, and we'll start off with an interview that I did with the highlight, Justin Gaethje. He was in the fight of the year this past weekend. You know, I just watched it back, and uh, yeah, it's the fight of the year. Himself and Michael Chandler at UFC 268. What a phenomenal, phenomenal fight. And what a performance by Justin Gage. You're going to take his brain on that performance. Talk about what's next, which really should be a title fight. Otherwise, we should stand outside Zuba headquarters with signs and protest. I'm all about that. Making sure that Justin Gaethje gets his due. And getting to see him in five-round fights doesn't hurt either. We'll also speak with the main eventer. Speaking of five-round fights this weekend, Max Holloway taking on Yair Rodriguez, two of the top featherweights in the world today, will be going at it. Max Holloway taking the stairs rather than the elevator, as he said to Ariel Hawani earlier this week, uh, when he faces Yair Rodriguez. This should be an awesome, awesome fight, and I'm looking forward to speaking with both of these great individuals, as well as Felicia Spencer, the Canadian back in action, taking on Leah Letson, who has not fought in about three years, and Felicia Spencer looking to get the bad taste out of her mouth left from that previous fight against Norma Dumont. We will also be joined by Julio Arce, who has moved down to the bantamweight division, Looked great in his return to bantamweight. Uh, he hadn't fought in the bantamweight division yet in the UFC, but his UFC bantamweight debut last time against Andre Ewell, now looking to face a tougher opponent in Song Yadong. He's a, a small underdog in that one, but uh, always loves speaking with Julio, uh, Julio Arce. Has one of the best smiles in MMA. Just a, a happy-go-lucky guy, so happy to speak with him. And it appeared he was happy to speak with me. He's always smiling, so uh, who can tell the difference these days? Uh, and let's get right to it. We'll start off with Justin Gaethje, followed by Max Holloway, Yair Rodriguez, Felicia Spencer, and Julio Arce right now on the TSN MMA Show Interview Edition. He is the highlight, Justin Gaethje, in the fight of the year of 2021 at UFC 268. Yourself, Michael Chandler. What a phenomenal performance uh, by both of you, really. The first round was really the most adversity you faced. How much trouble would you say you were in there? Was, was it spotty for a while, or did you feel like you just had to relax and, and be calm like you usually are? Yeah, I mean, um, so the one the one shot that I landed that that rocked me, you know, that made me take a couple of goofy steps. That one had me, you know, uh, it just buzzed me real quick. But I was never, I wouldn't consider myself in extreme danger, other than the fact that I was going backwards. And in those situations, you know, you're, you know, taking shots going backwards, and in that chaos, are dangerous. You know, more dangerous than normal. So, yeah, I would I would say I was in a little bit of danger, but I think, man, after about three and a half, four minutes, I really had it figured out. I was, you know, I was able to compose myself after that, that exchange. And yeah, I was really so dominant after that time, after that four minute mark of the first round. Was that one of those shots really that just kind of stumbles your, your equilibrium side of the head sort of thing? Yeah, just, uh, I mean, other than, I, I think I was shook for like a literally one second or, or less than one second. Like I, it was initial buzz and then it was back to normal. It wasn't like uh like, oh, shoot, I'm in trouble. I need to figure this out. It was just really, really quick and then back to normal um, within a second. So it wasn't as bad as it looked. But, yeah, I mean, I would say I was in some danger. Now, you spoke to John Anik uh, the other day about the fight and about Mike Beltran, the referee. Yeah, I just rewatched the fight, and I could see, of course, what you were talking about. But one other thing that he missed was getting in between you and Chandler when he had called timeout, which resulted in oh, you yeah. taking really an unnecessary shot. Well, that was by far the biggest and the first mistake that was made, you know, um, 
I hate to criticize Mike, but I like the guy. I like him a lot. You know, he he came to the back, and these are instances that even shouldn't be talked about in public, other than there was really no personal information that was shared between us two. He was intent and content that he heard me say I'm good, you know, and I just can't understand why he, for one, didn't even look in my eye. You know, he didn't come to my face and say, let me see your eye. Um so the whole procedure was was incorrect. But yeah, the first and the biggest mistake was not getting in there. Like you cannot call timeout from two or three feet away and you know um ninety-eight percent of the time the fighter stops. You know, ninety-nine point five percent of the time I stop before I I take that opportunity to land that shot. But I do not blame Michael Chandler whatsoever. Like, I actually respect that he took his opportunity and took that shot because the, the rep didn't do his fucking job. And, you know, that could have changed. You know, he was not going to win at that point. No, other than the, 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 land, the chance and the luck, he had no factor of winning after that fight. I had figured him out. He knew that. I knew that. And so, yeah, you take that fucking shot. Like, there's, I don't blame him at all. But yeah, I mean, it was just a, it's a, it's a 50 second sequence of events, and like in the court of law, those 50 seconds would be scrutinized second by second. And if you go through it, like it just didn't happen correctly. And I sound like I'm complaining. Uh, it sounds like some bitching, but I'm just bringing something up that I experienced. And uh, I think it should be talked about because, yeah, it, you know, if he accepts the fact, like, there's one fact that happened. You know, he made a mistake not jumping in there. And then, you know, whether it was ego, you know, I, I talked to him in a disrespectful way, like, immediately. Like, I was not happy that I was – that I took that shot, you know, and I did not talk to him in a respectful way. But we're in a fucking war right now. Like, there is no – it doesn't matter how – something is said the only thing that matters is what is said and yeah just you know, he asked me if i was good i said no i'm not good i got poked in the eye and then he asked me immediately after that if i was good and so the and you know like i'm i'm not the sharpest tool in the shed like right now like because i don't care but in that moment i am the sharpest motherfucker and every single thing is being processed and analyzed and determining the choices that are being made. And, you know, like my recollection of that event is so clear that, you know, he didn't, he didn't, he wasn't willing to acknowledge that he fucked up the first time and then he exasperated it. And then in the back, he didn't understand or take, he didn't take accountability. So for me, that's the issue, you know, because whatever, you know, and he's human and we make mistakes, but you have to be able to, to acknowledge and accept when you make a mistake and a mistake was made and luckily it did not change the course of the fight, but it very easily could have. And if I lose that fight because of that, you know, other than that, I was on point and so composed that he could not touch me. And that was the only opportunity where I took a really clean shot that, and yeah, it should never have happened. So yeah, that's my only complaint. That's why I have to talk about it. You know, I think it's important. Um, 
but yeah, I, I don't want the guy to lose his job. I just want us to all learn from these experiences. Yeah, well, it was a, an interesting verbal exchange because he said to you, like, is your eye okay? And then you said, no, I, you know, I got poked. And then he was like, well, are you okay? Right? And so it seemed to me like he was asking you if you personally were okay. From the punch, you know? So right. Why right. would you ask in what, you know, again, I'm sharp as fuck right there. Like, I, I'm, I'm listening to what you're saying. I'm processing what you're saying. And I'm replying accordingly. Like, I know that if, if I ever imply that I cannot continue, then this fight stops and, like, it's a fucking mess. And I was not rocked. Like, I don't know how, like my ability to roll up punches when he hit me, I went so loose. Like, I didn't even see it coming. Like, I don't know why that shit doesn't rock me. Like if, if, if there's a, if there's a something that we really need to figure out, that would be it. But yeah, it was just, uh, just, uh, wasn't a good, wasn't a good <laughs> series of events. Well, I did my due diligence on it because I don't know if it's still the case in New Jersey, but back in the day in New Jersey, if you got poked in the eye, you had to continue right away. And if you said, like, I can't see, they'd call the fight immediately. So I went and looked, and they, they do have the unified rules in, in New York. So thankfully, that wasn't the case. They would still look at the eye. You know, if I requested the doctor to come in because maybe I needed a towel to wipe my eye. For what The fact is, I was not sure. Like, if you, like we're talking about the first five seconds of that 50-second um, thing. I got hit in the eye. I, I, my eyeball did not get touched, but in the moment, all I, all I felt was extreme pressure in my eye. Luckily, the eyelid was down and the, the, eye, the finger just went in the eye. So, when that happens, it creates a pressure. But in those three seconds, you don't know if your eye fucking popped. You don't know if you got poked in the eyeball. You don't know if it was just pressure. You know, you don't know. So, yeah, I needed time to figure out what happened. And the fact that he did not inspect or take, he did not take one second to, to inspect my eye. And then when I, and then when he says go, I say, Hey man, I need my time. And he looks at me and says, you said you're good fight. And like, that is what happened. Those are the, so again, why, when I look at you and say, Hey, I need my time. Why do you look back at me and say, no, you're good. Instead of, Fight, fighter safety being the number one priority in your mind. And maybe at that time, you don't even think I got punched. You think I'm lying, but you've already started the procedure called timeout. Like the procedure starts and there's a procedure that we follow. Sure, I don't need five minutes, but you have to at least look in my eye and see what damage is incurred. And then you ask me if I'm okay from the punch and I have to say yes. And so how am I supposed to know that you're fucking talking about the eye poke again? Like that's, that would be impossible for me to know that. Yeah, I think you're Again, absolutely right. Oh, bitch. I sound like a little girl. Like, I'm telling you, I, I, I hear how I sound. But it's just, uh, this is just something that I... Well, listen, this didn't cost you the fight, right? So, I mean, I think that what you're bringing up is very valid. Yeah, but I, but I could have. And that's why I'm bringing it up. Right, absolutely. Well, it was good that it happened with 15 seconds left in the round rather than 15 seconds into the round, because who knows, right? I mean, that, that's why you're bringing yeah, this up. It's just for, for future, so that the referee knows uh, to really go through the procedure and say, hey, do you need time, right? Like, yeah. there were a couple steps missing. We could all learn from that experience. Yeah, well, what, it's funny you say that because there was a time where uh, I, I put out a really bad scorecard on social media and you called me out for it. And I went and took a, a judging course after that because I, I had learned from, from that experience that, you know, you can always do better. You can always go and learn. And I, I learned yeah. that, that I, I was scoring fights completely incorrectly and not looking at the, the actual judging criteria. And I think that 95% of people that watch fights don't know the, the, full fight, the full scoring criteria. So I actually want to thank you for that because I think yeah. that, that you weren't calling me out out of malice. You just thought that what I was no, writing didn't make sense. 
if you don't know me, like I sound too, you know, so critical and harsh, but I'm just calling it as I see it. Like when you said that, like I was flabbergasted that that was a possibility. And then when I said, I hope you take this ratio as a lesson, like I really meant the fact that you were experiencing this ratio should really allow you to take every bias out and then really analyze the situation. That's all I was pointing out. And that's all I meant. I meant nothing bad. You know, it sounded bad, sounded mean, but I was literally just trying to be like, Hey, we have to learn from this because something, you know, is not right here. So yeah, that's all it was. And oh, yeah. I'm glad that... I had the option to take it personally, or I had the option to go and learn. And I took the option to learn, which is the better way to, better way of doing things. But uh, yeah, I mean, the first three rounds of that fight between Israel and Jan were, were fairly close, I will say. But uh, I, I definitely wasn't looking at it through the correct lens of how to score fights. And I, I did learn a lot from that. And even what's crazy to me, like even if we touch on it before, so this fight, if he would have taken me down in say the last minute and 30 seconds and been able to gain top control and stay there, I think he would have got the win on the scorecards. And, you know, his antics and his pure uh, show of, of sportsmanship and class, like the, the human factor, that is scoring points for some reason. But if you were to break down the fight strike by strike and the actual damage incurred, like I won, you know, I won the first round all those cuts and shit came from all the damage that he mostly got from like the cuts and stuff came from that first round and I'm okay giving him the first round. But the fact that maybe a, a takedown in the second, third round would have got him the win is crazy to me. And that is literally like, we are just living on such a sharp edge of winning and losing, especially in a three round fight. Like it's crazy how perfect you have to be. Well, the main event's a good example of that, right? Because Kamaru, I thought, won the first round hands down. Second round was obviously his round. And then the next three rounds, like, you know, I, I obviously scored Kamaru as the winner of that fight. But, yeah. you know, it, it's just it, he, he looked so good in those first two rounds. And because Colby kind of turned the corner halfway through that fight, like those th last three rounds were, were very crucial to Kamaru uh, retaining the title. Yeah, and, and, and one more thing I want to touch on is if these refs would do their jobs, you know, more proficiently, like, why was the my second round with Chandler not a 10-8? So, therefore, the 10-9 in round three would have not been a factor. Why was the second round in the Kamau Usman fight not an automatic 10-8? You know, he dropped him, and the end of the fight was there. You know, you presented that danger and that opportunity for the fight to be over. The ref could have stopped my fight with Chandler. Thank God he didn't. The ref could have stopped the fight with Kamar Usman and Kobe coming in the second round. So why were those not judged 10-8s? And then it all, you know, and then those guys, because we earned it, not because anything else, other than we earned those 10-8s on those scorecards. So why did that not happen? And then that 10-8, you know, allows me the opportunity that I earned to, you know, get taken down in the last minute and a half if it was to happen. And I don't... You know, something catastrophic doesn't happen because of that small takedown compared to my landing that uppercut and getting 2% away from a finish. Like, I think that should, those should have been 10-8 rounds. I think that solves the whole issue of, you know, these, these controversial decisions because it is round by round. But if you're going to judge a round and those dangers are presented, then why, why don't we get a 10-8? Well, this is why I, I'm a proponent of the half-point scoring system. And, and I, I just think that the 10-point scoring system doesn't make sense for a three-round fight in MMA. Uh, I can explain to you why they're not 10-8 rounds, if, you, if you'd like, just from having read the criteria. They're looking, what the judges are looking for is, is something called the three Ds. 
So it's, uh, it's, it's damage, duration, and dominance. They're looking for all three of those things. So if you're getting the damage, it, it's very rare that they're going to score a 10-8 just on damage because they need to see dominance in the round and they need to see duration. Now, I think that there was enough damage done in that second round because you nearly finished them in that round. So I, I definitely think there's a case to make for a 10-8. I think that in the Usman and Covington example, there's a little bit less of a case to make because it was just uh, two quick flash knockdowns at the end of the round. Again, I think it's kind of a, a judgment call, but th that's why I think that a half point system makes so much more sense because then you can do 10 to 8.5 and, and then 10 to 9.5 for closer rounds. Yeah, I think we could have a great debate on that. <laughs> All right, well, go ahead. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the damage was done. The domination was done. Like, if you're actually watching what actually happened between me and Michael Chandler in that round, the damage, if you want to take damage, like, number one, that's why I don't lose number one. You know, like you have, but how do you understand what damage is being? Like, yeah, it's really that's the big problem with the first round of your fight is because uh, in, in your fight, you you were off balance. And, and the judge has to determine whether you being off balance is more damage than you doing physical damage to Chandler, who gets cut easily. Right. So they they might be taking that into account. I agree yeah, with you. I think it, that first round was really close. You could say they get cut easily, but dude, no, it's it's the force that I'm creating with these. Um, and that is what's cutting their face. Like it happens to every single one. Like my, I've been cut so many times from small jabs that you would never be. My face didn't get cut that fight because I didn't run straight into a bone. That's what happened, you know. And but yeah, the damage, the the domination, and what was the last D? Duration, which is like a long period of time where you're controlling. The, I, I think the second round of your fight, you can certainly make a ten case for the Kamaru one is a little bit more iffy. Yeah, I'll give you that. That's true. I do agree with that, but again, when in my mind, whenever you bring a fight that close to a stoppage or a finish, that has to be. If they can't present that in one round and they get a ten nine, and I presented that in one round and I got a ten nine, and it, this one's a this one's a really close round. This one's not. But then they have to be. I mean, sure, ten ten to eight and a half. I'll give you that too. You know, but. Well, I just think that in a three-round fight, it makes so much more sense to have a ten to eight and a half system. The fact of the matter is, you can never take the human instinct and fallibility that the fallibility of humans into it, and you can't take it out. You know, that's the only way. My my answer would be that they need to be in the back. The judges should be in the back watching it on a screen. But again, then you don't see the damage incurred, and you. You have to hear the shots to understand what shot is more effective. And then you have to have the understanding of knowing what you're watching. It's, it's almost it's impossible. Right, yeah, and it's all, it's all human error, right? It's, it's, it's based on the human eye, and I agree with you. And I think in the second round of your fight, you, you can certainly uh, argue that two of the three Ds were there, which is what judges will look for for a 10-8 round, which is the, uh, the damage and the domination. I think that both of those were certainly there for your second round, yeah. which, like, like you said, that is what can make or break a fight for you. If five minutes isn't long enough duration, then nothing will ever be because I dominated him for the duration of that round. And one thing I want to ask... The... Sorry, go ahead. Go, you know, you're good. One thing I want to ask you about is, is how you're so good at landing light kicks from boxing range. Like, it's something that you just so rarely see in MMA. Is it because, unless you're practicing it and drilling it all the time, that you know, it actually may, may be more painful for the person that's throwing the kicks if they're not doing it properly? It's nothing more than perfect timing. I'm throw, I throw every strike at the very perfect time whenever – it's all about when their weight is shifting. 
And to understand what I'm talking about, you would have to, you, it's just impossible. But yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I think a lot of it is because you don't see a lot of people do it, right? So it's hard for me to understand because I don't see it very often. There's a constant rhythm happening in there. And it's, you know, everyone, you're shifting way back to front, forward, sideways. And every shift has an equal shift the other way or in another direction. Like, so it's all about, you know, it's all about fucking, like, I cannot talk about Newton's three laws of physics, but if you can understand those and what, how they're so correlated to the human body and the way the human body moves, then that is what it is. All right, I think you got company. I'll, I'm gonna let you. Who, who's at the door? Who we got? What up, man? Hey, Dominus. look at that! The Dominator, Dominic Reyes. How's Dominic doing? I saw Dominic uh, is is taking a little bit of time off and working with you guys and uh, and and polishing his tools. Yeah, he's out here for for the week. We're gonna have some fun. Awesome. Well, I'll uh, I'll leave you to it. Uh, thanks for this, Justin. I uh, appreciate you. Appreciate uh, your incredible fighting style. And uh, I hope to speak with you again soon. All right, man. See you later. Have a good day. Not every day you get to interview the best, and the best is blessed as Max Holloway in the main event this weekend against Yair Rodriguez. An exciting main event. Uh, but I want to talk to you about your last fight. Your last fight was one of the greatest performances in UFC history. Do you agree with that? When you have you gone back and watched your your masterpiece? I kinda I watched a little bit highlights of it, you know. I don't uh, you don't have time to uh, sit back and watch, you know. It's always the next one. So I, I watched some of it, but uh, it's pretty cool how 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 big it took off, especially being on ABC and um, being one of the first fights back with fans in Abu Dhabi. So uh, it was great. Well, they booked the right fight on uh, ABC. That was an awesome fight. And when you look at the numbers, I mean, that's an unbelievable amount of output. Uh, you say that you haven't been sparring in the gym. Is that holding true for this camp as well? Yeah, you know, I, I, I sparred a little bit outside of camp and here and there, nothing crazy. But, uh, yeah, we still we, we stood on doing the sparring thing. You know, I felt good. I've been feeling good the last couple couple camps. We do more timing stuff, more movement stuff. But uh, that's good, man. You know, everybody, every fighter that said they're going to a fight uh, 100%, it's probably lying if they're sparring because all the little knacks, the little bruises, you know, you hit someone's elbow, you hit someone, the head butts, the elbows, it just, it's tough, man. It's hard on your body, you know, and uh, I think so. I went through enough that uh, we know how to figure it out. Well, you took about nine sparring sessions to put it into one fight. You were, you were averaging, I think it was one significant strike attempt per every two seconds of the fight. Like, that's, that's very difficult to do. I, I didn't know that stat. That's kind of crazy. Yeah, that 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 is. That's it's pretty cool that you guys always bring up these stats that I, I have not heard of yet. <laughs> I think it was actually every three seconds. My my mistake. I think it was. So there's 2,500 yeah. seconds in a fight, right? Yeah. There, oh, no, actually, there, no, I'm there, wrong. Uh, I'm wrong. It's 1,500 seconds. 1,500 seconds, and you attempted like 700. So yeah, it's close to like two, one every two seconds. That's that's unbelievable, really. Yeah. There's a there's a meme saying that like uh, you breathe certain times amount of times in a minute or something and like I hit Kelvin so much that he couldn't breathe or something I was kind of tripping on when I saw that meme I was like that's pretty crazy. So talk to me about Yair Rodriguez. I mean I think Yair's best bet for beating people is to manage the distance and, and have range and you're a master of getting into boxing range. Do you think that's going to be the key for this one? I would see it happen. You know Yair is a super unorthodox. He got he's super explosive. Guy, the man is super explosive. He can, uh, he does a lot of spinning stuff. So, at the end of the day, that, that's the kind of fight that, 
he's gonna fight exciting me, man. I can't wait. You know, there's another one uh, on the chopping block. Uh, we get to go out there. We get to do it a little bit earlier than what we usually do. You know, uh, all you Canadian fans, it's, it's 4 p.m. Eastern this Saturday. Your favorite, your favorite adopted Canadian is fighting. So make sure you guys tune in. You've got Felicia Spencer on the card, the other Canadian on the card. Uh, she, oh, I just spoke yeah. to her. She wants to yeah. trade headbands with you. So if you see her, ask her for it. She has Felicia Phenom headbands, and she wants a blessed headband. So I'm trying to facilitate oh. a trade between you guys. Oh, for sure. For sure. We'll figure it out for sure. All right. So I want to talk to you about your legacy. I mean, you're not even 30 years old yet. And I was looking at, again, the stats for your output in your 30s is just unbelievable. But uh, is that something that you care about? Is, is, is what your legacy is going to be at the end of the day? And, and if so, how much longer do you plan to fight for? Or do you not really have a, an expiry date in mind? I mean, my business partner and my coaches, they got, they got a timeline for me. So that's come I'm trying to fight as much as I possibly can. I don't, I don't know the timeline. So I'm just trying to stay busy every, every shot that I get. And, um, you know, on to the next one. Do you feel like you can still end up becoming the greatest of all time or being considered the greatest of all time? Again, I look at your accolades that you've reached before you've hit the age of 30 and you're going to be able to add to that this weekend. I feel like people, when they look at who the greatest of all time is, like, I don't think they consider how much more you can still accomplish in this sport. Uh, yeah, you know, at the end of the day, we see, we find out, you know, the, the end of the day, I, I want to be edged on the MMA Mount Rushmore, you know, next to the Khabibs, next to GSP, next to Anderson Silva. And I want to get my face up there. So, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot more to be done. You know, there's a lot more to be done. When it's all said and done, I want to, I want to hold a lot of, a lot of stats. I want to hold a lot of things. So, you know, it's undeniable. What did you personally think of your two fights with Volkanovski? I don't know if you've gone back and watched them at all. You said you don't have a ton of time to do it, but uh, is, you know, how close did you think those fights were? I mean, it is what it is. You know, I'm not going to cry over spill milk. They're happening. Things happen for a reason, I believe. And, um, we're on to the next, you know. People people going to have their opinions on the fight, but the only thing that matters is that, that three people sitting uh, octagon side that uh, judge the fight. So, you know, I move on, you know what I mean? Like, that's all you can do. You often talk about, I mean, you mentioned this past week about how you don't want to take the elevator, you want to take the stairs. I thought that was a great analogy. Uh, but how important is it for you to have good management on your side? Because I'm sure that names come across your desk all the time that you just want to take, but they're the ones who have to steer the direction of your career. Is, if, if it was up to you, would you take basically any fight that came across your desk? I mean, to be the best, you got to be the best, and the best is blessed, baby. So there it is. I know you still have one big fish that you're after, Daniel Cormier. You think you can coax him out of retirement for one more? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I hopefully, man. I saw him eating his chicken fingers and his popcorn this past weekend. You know, he needs to slow down because he got to, he got to, I, I mean, I said open weight, but this guy really packing it on for me, man. He really wants to lie on me. So we see what happens, you know. I thought they did him dirty on the bar broadcast. I got to my hotel in New York last week. I turned on the. I was watching the game just coincidentally. I was watching the Nets game, and then they show Cormier, you know, chowing down on chicken fingers. And the commentator's like, "I don't know how that guy can be a fighter." Brother, I don't. I, I didn't watch it, but that's funny, man. We have a lot of guys thinking like I, we don't know. <laughs> What's your diet like? Do you do you diet pretty heavily? You know, outside of uh, I guess a fight camp. Uh, no, not really. I don't have to, you know, before, before, uh, maybe before I had to, you know, but I got a, I got a beautiful wife now. She makes sure she take care of all that, you know, before I had her, I was like, uh, I was looking like DC after five weeks. So I'm glad that uh, I got her. Well, I remember they let you loose at the candy store in Edmonton when you were leading up to your fight with Frankie and you were, you were just going crazy oh. buying all, all the cool candy you could find. 
bro, so good, bro. I, the auto candy that I had there, it didn't even last two weeks in the in the house. The the peanut butter cocoa pebbles is delicious. It was it was amazing. See, it's funny. You went to a store that doesn't sell Canadian stuff. Like it sells stuff that isn't even really available in Canada. They just happen to import all kinds of cool stuff. So you're probably thinking you're getting all this cool Canadian food, but it was just it was all imported stuff. It's all over the world, bro. Didn't, we didn't have it where we was from, so it was good to see it. I was talking to you beforehand because I had mentioned on social media that you and my 11-year-old had the same Halloween costume, a Tanjiro from Demon Slayer. So I, I heard in a recent interview that you're just starting to get into anime. So what are you and Rush watching these days? I mean, uh, Rush not so much watching some of the animes I've, I've been watching. He's been watching One Piece. I haven't watched One Piece. I've been watching uh, uh, Tokyo Revengers. That's a real good one. Uh, one of my all-time favorites. Like It's a feel-good anime. That I like is um, is Devil's a Part Timer, and then my favorite of all time is Assassination Classroom. You know, that 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 those two is like feel good ones. You know, it's not like Demon Slayer, it's not like Tokyo Revenger where it's like fighting and stuff. But yeah, I, I, my wife my wife is a big anime person, so she's trying to get me into it. You know, people keep harassing me about getting to Jujutsu Kaisen, so that might be the next one. Well, if you're looking for a training partner for the uh, the PC version of the Demon Slayer game. My son, is he's just eating that for dinner right now. He, he loves that game. Okay, I might, ha I might have to harass you because I wanted to bring it up on the stream, you know? <laughs> Make sure you guys come to the stream. FB.GG, Max Holloway Official, man. We all, we're over there killing it. Well, if you want to have somebody that's not going to like fanboy over you because my son doesn't watch MMA, I mean, you want to just have like, somebody who's going to play the game with you and talk trash, that's my son. That's what, that's what he'll do. Sounds good to me. <laughs> So what, what kind of timetable are you looking at for this uh, rematch with Volkanovski should you win this weekend? Or do you not think about that at all because you've got something coming up on Saturday? Uh, we see what happens, you know. Like I said, I got I got five title wins, man. Six title. I would like my sixth title win to be against Alex. But, you know, we sat down in the UFC. We discussed some stuff. And I, I got a win over the 155 champ right now. I'm on a very short list for Conor McGregor. And I'm the best boxer in UFC, baby. So, you know, anything has happened. Use you guys' the imagination, my friends, you know. But first things first, we got your year on Saturday. It's not a guy to take lightly, and um, I can't wait to get it done. I'm, I'm upset you brought up the Oliveira fight because that fight took place in Canada. Two of my favorite fighters to watch on planet Earth, and that's how the fight, the fight ended with, like, a, a weird injury. I, I, I want to see five rounds of that fight. Yeah. Who doesn't? Who doesn't? You know what I mean? Let UFC know and... Um, we see what happens, man. Like I said, use the imagination. Use the imagination. A lot of things can happen in these weird times. A lot of weird fights have been, been happening, so it's going to be fun. What do you think of Oliveira's path to the title? Because it's kind of similar to yours, just a, an even longer road to get to the to the title. Grinding, man. Dude's a grinder. Dude's a grinder, man. And uh, nothing but respect, hard work, pays off, man. I mean, look at it. It pays off. All right, Max, yeah, you're example A for that. We look forward to watching you and Yair Rodriguez. It's the main event. It's uh, on Fight Pass here in Canada. Appreciate your time. Look forward to watching you compete uh, once more. Thank you, brother. Can't wait. He is El Pantera, Yair Rodriguez, in the main event of UFC Fight Night this weekend against Max Holloway. I like El Pantera as a nickname, but you're the lone wolf. You're somebody who likes to go and train in as many different places as possible. Uh, tell me a little bit about that, about why you have kind of a lone wolf mentality in MMA. Well, I think uh, it's not it's not like a lone wolf, you know. I I have team I have a team with me that is always um, they're always ready to to train with me. 
but yeah, like uh, I like to I like to do things um, my way. That's for sure. And I like to travel. I have a lot of friends like in different places I go. So and I can find different uh, styles of training, uh, different information everywhere I go. And every time you move, uh, you can find that, you know, and uh, sometimes when you stay in the same spot, in the same place, you you cannot get the information. You always get certain kind of information from some person or whatsoever. And uh, in the the way that I do it, I find um, I find it funnier, um, funnier to learn, easier to learn. Uh, you never get bored, and um, you can always be training. And uh, you know, the only thing you need in this sport to to do to do it is your body, your mind, and uh, anywhere you go, you can train. And that's the way that I think. Where did you train most for this particular one in New Mexico? No, I was um, part Chicago for like two, like three weeks in Chicago, and then I was in Mexico for uh, ten days, and was in my hometown for like another two weeks. Uh, I've been here in Vegas for two weeks, uh, so it's been like kind of all over. Before that, I was in Costa Rica, you know. So yeah, I've been like kind of been moving, moving around. All right, I've got a question for you about Valley Flow Systems in Chicago. Who is bigger? Who do you think weighs more? on a day-to-day -day basis? Welterweight Bilal Muhammad or lightweight Ignacio Bahamondes? Who weighs more every day, would you say? Bilal. I'll say Bilal. Bahamondes is a huge guy for 155. Is, is he somebody that you train with often? Uh, yeah, yeah. No, not anymore because I'm, I'm not part of Bioflow anymore. But yeah, we're friends. We're still friends. I'm friends with everybody there. And all the people there, I send, I send them a, a, a huge hug and uh, the coach might too. And uh, yeah, we, we had the opportunity to train uh, for several years together. And you know, Nacho is just an impressive, an impressive guy, an impressive fighter, really humble. And I'm, I'm sure he, he's made uh, of great material and he's gonna be doing great things in the UFC, I'm sure. Which training partner in this camp gave you the toughest looks? Like when you, when you went in there, you were like, man, this guy is, this guy's tough to, uh, to train against. Well, it was, it was different guys, you know, it was, um, I was trying to get Somebody that, that was like a little heavier than me, like my training partner, Pato, Alejandro Martinez. Uh, it's a 55er. So like at the beginning of my, camp, of my camp, I was training with somebody who was like stronger, like a little harder to go with, especially in wrestling, grappling, all that. Somebody that can truly push you and you got to uh, perfectionate all your positioning and stuff. And then for the latest part of my training camp, I trained with uh, Jose Quinones. He's a UFC veteran. Uh, his brother just signed with the UFC. He uh, fought like two weeks ago on Dana White Contender Series. And um, yeah, I just think these guys, they have a lot of experience um, and they were able to give me the look that I, that I was looking for, you know, both in different senses, but, you know, in the same, in the same way as well, too. <laughs> was Peko on, uh, was he on the season of Tough with you, the Latin American season? Yeah, yeah, we, we went there together. We stay, uh, and then we lived together before that. We lived together for like one year uh, in Albuquerque, New Mexico, when I was training there for the... Um, the UFC development program, <clears throat> and uh, we stayed that we fight in the Ultimate Fighter House. We stay. Uh, it was a finalist actually of the um, the tooth, and uh, that's it. Yeah, we're friends for since forever. <laughs> you know, when I when I watched the Ultimate Fighter, it, there's only been two situations where I've watched, and I said this person's got something special. And one of them was you, and the other one was Kamaru Usman, who fought this last weekend. I just I had a good feeling about both of you. I think you guys have both proved me right by rising to the top of your, your respective divisions. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. And uh, I guess we're trying, bro. I guess um, 
coming from the places we come and um, we, we just do what I think we, we should do, you know, and we do it the best way possible. And, um, you know, nothing else should be, should, should matter, you know. I, I think you should do the best thing you can with what you have and that should be enough for you. It doesn't matter the result. You got to be always proud of yourself because if you're sure that you put in everything, everything on, on every single training and your mentality and even fighting, uh, it doesn't matter whatever happens, you'll be you'll fine with yourself, you'll be happy, and uh, you'll be ready to go right away. Yeah, whenever I see you do interviews and whenever I speak to you, you're a very serious person, but you talked a lot about how happiness, I read that column that Chuck Mindenhall wrote about you, happiness is the most paramount thing in your life. You're always looking to be happy. Uh, so why don't we see you happier? Why don't we see you smile more? And what does make you happy? Uh, well, I don't, I don't think... Um, it's my smile. smile is just a smile, you know, it doesn't, doesn't mean anything. That just means somebody that is sad can be smiling, you know, and that doesn't change anything. That's something that you have inside you, uh, inside yourself. I find happiness on the, my family. I find happiness on my health. I find happiness on doing what I love. I have happiness on, on just living. Uh, by being alive, I find happiness. You know, every time that I wake up in the morning, I'm so grateful uh, because I still can breathe. And I, I'm saying all this because, you know, lately we have lost a lot of people, especially my, my family have lost friends, pretty close friends. And, uh, you know, that hit me super, super hard. Uh, but at the same time, it kind of, it kind of, um, my heart became like a little more harder uh, because you understand, you know, that uh, life is going to, it's going to happen. And if you're not doing the correct things with your time and your life and you're not putting a lot of effort in, into your family, into your business, into whatever, whatsoever it is, then then that's when you want to be sad. That's when you want to be uh, upset because you, you're not doing anything that you're supposed to be doing with your life. And, uh, you know, I'm in a point where I, I found myself happy because I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to be doing right now, and uh, that's it. Well, first off, I'm sorry to hear about the members of your families and your, your family friends that have, uh, that have unfortunately <laughs> passed. And uh, with, with, with that, though, in, in terms of your happiness, does that take pressure off of you when it comes to your career? Because you know that happiness is something that you can find outside of just becoming the champion or rising in the rankings or the things that come with being a mixed martial artist. Yeah, so my coaches, they always told me uh, it's not actual the, the actual goal, what is going to make you happy is you got to find joy on doing on the way, you know, on the way from, from point A to point B. You got to find happiness in, in that in between you know and how you find happiness you can find it in different ways i guess right different kind of happiness but um one of one of those happiness is, is doing what you love doing and having uh people that love you near you and uh, knowing how to love people and all that and that's it you know and if you put like talking about sports and all that if you put a uh, 100 percent uh each time and you know you're doing the best that you can that's it and then nothing else can be can be said but only do the work. Well, let's talk about your opponent, Max Holloway. Uh, the last fight that he had against Calvin Cater, I think, is one of the most impressive performances, uh, individual performances that anybody has ever had in the UFC. Uh, did you watch that fight? And if so, what did you think of it? Yeah, I was jumping on my chair. I was like, ah, you know, I was going crazy. Uh, I, I think that's why I wanted to fight Max, you know, to be honest. That that fight, I, I always wanted to fight him, but right after that fight, when I was watching the fight, I was like, I want to fight him. I really want to fight him. I actually tweeted. Uh, I make it, uh, a post saying, uh, I'm not impressed. 
but I was impressed. I was like, fuck, man, this guy is fucking good. So, and then people start like firing on me, like, oh, fuck you, yeah. And then I was like, hey, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. I fucking like the guy, you know, I, uh, I love how he fights. And uh, it's, that's exactly why I always wanted to fight him because I don't fight with somebody because I think I'm going to win. I fight with somebody because I think it's going to bring out the best of me, the best version of me. It's going to push me um, to that. And that's what I'm looking for with Max. That's a funny story. So you were trolling. You were just uh, trying to get under people's skin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's fucking wrong. Well, you, mean, you mentioned that uh, you jumped uh, up and down when you were watching that fight. The, the highest I've ever jumped and the loudest I've ever yelled was your finish over the Korean zombie. I, I've never seen anything like that before in my life. Uh, and I don't think I'll ever see anything like it again in my life again. Uh, is that something that you train consistently in, in camp? Is that up elbow? Or was it just something that the instinct kind of took over and you, you thought it might be there and you may as well throw it up and see what happens? Yeah, I, I used to think is uh, um, I gonna I gonna say this uh, and see if you can remember <clears throat> Ronda Rousey. Ronda Rousey uh, from a, a transition she could get to a number, and then whenever you ask her, like I just felt I just felt that it was there because you know we are martial artists and we understand where things are whenever it comes to your opponent. You know you know where your body's at, you know where your opponent's at, and with that said, plus. I train a lot of elbows, you know, in different weird situations, scenarios that I like, I won't, I don't film it. Right. But all the people around me that are training with me every time and they, they uh, get actually can get contact to me. They understand what I'm talking about when I say this and they understand um, the creativity where all that comes from. Yeah. It wasn't just a reaction. Like uh, most people, a lot of people will think, uh, but yeah, it was uh, something that I saw in the moment, in the moment, but also something that I that I practiced before. Um, on my head, I, I saw it on the on the backs, and I trained it uh, with Cabo a couple of times. We saw, I saw it, and uh, in the fight, I, I was there. I saw it clear, and I took the shot, and the fight was over. Did you know in your head that you were down at that time? Because it was a pretty close fight. It wasn't uh, something where it was you know you were really getting beaten in that fight. At the time, did you think that you were down? <clears throat> no, 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 never. I never thought that I was down. I thought that maybe, maybe two and two. Uh, that's what my corner said. Uh, just at the, at the end of the fourth round, he said, I think you you are two and two. This is this is the one. So you got to go there and put everything on it. Um, just go out there and enjoy, do your thing. And then I went out there and that was it. <laughs> The last question for you. You said that uh, the Max Holloway fight obviously was very important for you. You really wanted that fight after you saw his previous fight. When he had to pull out of the fight, and you know better than anybody else how volatile the UFC can be, were you worried that you weren't going to get the fight? Yes, a little bit at the beginning. Uh, and then they start offering me all these other names. But right before, like, hey, we have like a couple other names. I was like, no. I don't even want to hear them. I don't care who it is. I'm not going to take another fight that is no Max Holloway. I'm always looking to go forward, you know, and Max Holloway is, uh, is the best, the best for your career to move forward and um, just get to the next step, of, of course, talking about like your career, but but growing, you know, uh, Max Holloway is a fighter that's going to gonna help me out to grow as a fighter, as a person, and it's going it's gonna to give me just a lot of experiences. That's what I need. And I think that's it, you know. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Yeah, you're really, really appreciate your time as always. And uh, best of luck against Max Holloway this Saturday. Thank you. Appreciate you, man. Can't wait for Saturday. See you guys soon.
Pleased to be joined now by Felicia Spencer taking on Leah Letson this Saturday. This is a tough assignment because Leah Letson hasn't fought in like three years, and you're going to have to, I guess, work work with what you have in terms of information about her. Yeah, um, it's it's kind of exciting in a way. Uh, obviously, the the challenges are, you know, where has her growth happened in three years of training? It can be, you know, it can it can change you a lot, you know. So, at the same time, I'm you know kind of excited to have the the kind of my mindset more focused on what I'm doing and putting, you know, just implementing my game plan and, you know, making it happen because, you know, I don't really care what she's going to try to do kind of mindset, you know? So, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a little different in preparation. Is that different for you in terms of, um, you, you say that you're focused on yourself. Was that something that previously you used to, I guess, study your opponents and try to look for different nuances about their game rather than focus on your own? Um, uh, not like, not, not to a big degree, but you know, it's, it's always kind of more thought of if you, if someone just fought six months ago that, oh, you know, their, their habit is kind of to do this when this happens and that's probably not going to change in six months, you know, that kind of thing. So I definitely always focused on, you know, what I wanted to do, but it, it kind of left the, the door more closed on what she's going to do this time and more open for for me to just think about my training and and just you know putting my best foot forward now it's weird to say this but it seems like the featherweight division is actually seeming more healthy than it usually is we had a main event with norma dumont and aspen lad recently do you get that same sense that perhaps this division is here to stay because it's been kind of a slippery slope throughout your ufc career yeah i feel really good about it you know i feel like i feel proud that i was um, you know a part of the division to get to this point and I have a good feeling about it staying, you know, sticking around. And um, yeah, it feels, you know, it feels nice to have been a part of that, that journey. Now, a lot of it seems to hinge on Kayla Harrison. And for whatever reason, Dana White isn't, I guess, putting her over, <laughs> for lack of a better term. Why do you think that is? And what do you think of Kayla Harrison and her game now that she's a free agent and there's a possibility she ends up in the UFC? Yeah, I mean, I think she's an amazing athlete, you know, um, whatever is best for her career, she should do, you know? So I know I understand like all the, um, you know, the talk uh, from Dana's side and, and, you know, people talking about what Dana has been saying and the back and forth. Um, for me, I feel like this division in the UFC really lies on Amanda Nunes, lot more than Kayla. I feel like if Amanda wasn't here, you know, maybe now, you know, if things changed, if Amanda wasn't here, there might, I think there might still be a division, but a year ago, it would have definitely been a different story. So for me, it all, it all hinged on Amanda to allow the division to stay. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I hope that they sign new athletes and keep building the division and make it exciting and make people want to watch. What did you think of the five-round main event between Norma Dumont, your previous opponent, and Aspen Ladd? I was definitely, you know, I watched it. I was super interested in, in uh, what they both did and how they both came out. And I thought, you know, Norma looked good. She did what she had to do to win against a really tough opponent. So, you know, hats off to her, uh, you know, especially um, going into this fight kind of last minute, having a completely different style of opponent compared to her original being Holly Holm, being a tall striker, switching things up to face Aspen Ladd, a shorter more wrestling heavy fighter. I feel like she did a really good job to, um, you know, even it wasn't a spectacular win, but she made the adjustments needed to, to do what she had to do. So 
I'm, uh, I'm really happy for her, and I hope that Aspen can, uh, you know, fight again in the featherweight division. I hope that she feels at home there, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to see what happens next. And how did you assess your performance against Norma? It, it, to me, it seemed like um, you were a little bit flat that night. Did you feel the same way? I did. Yeah, I felt uh, maybe a little bit less uh, excited in that moment and a little bit more, um, I guess, I don't want to say I didn't necessarily care about the outcome, but I was kind of just, I don't know, I guess I was kind of, it felt like I was kind of going through the motions a little bit. Um, to get through it more so. And this time, you know, after experiencing that and, and kind of feeling that after the fight, you know, that I was kind of just so blase about it during the fight, um, definitely motivated me to bring that intensity to training and to bring the intensity back to the fight and to be, and I'm genuinely excited about the fight starting and, and me being fun to watch and, and and having an amazing performance for myself. Well, I appreciate the honesty in that. You know, I spoke to Joseph Benavidez, I guess, after his final fight against Askar Askarov, and he said the, kind of the same thing. He said, at a great training camp, I felt better than I ever had, and then the fight started, and I just felt like I wasn't in my body. It was like an out-of-body experience. And Is that kind of how it felt? And how do you avoid that from happening now that you, like you said, you have experienced that? What, what kind of uh, things do you have in place so that when you do get in there against Leah Lutzen, that it does feel like it's fun and feels like there's purpose behind it? Um, I think a lot of this is is the mindset that I've that I've had the whole camp. It was kind of the similar thing for me. Like I had a great camp last time. I had amazing training, but the mindset I definitely felt a little bit more like I was getting through it and kind of looking forward to the day after the fight. You know, especially toward the end, kind of just looking forward to Sunday. Uh, whereas this whole fight camp, I've you know entered. You know, when I wake up in the morning, I'm like looking forward to going to train. Um, you know, I'm excited to have good performances in the gym. You know, I'm excited. Um, I, I honestly haven't been thinking about the day after the fight nearly as much as what I did last time. You know, like I'm really excited to perform on Saturday. Why were you thinking about the day after the fight in the last one? Uh, well, you know, just kind of the, the how tough things are and how you know, you get to you get to the end of the training camp and you're grinding and it's hard and, you know, sometimes, you know, you just don't really feel like doing it, you know. So I was definitely just looking forward some, you know, part of the time, just kind of like getting through it. Like, oh, I have eight more sessions of this, you know, I have, you know, one more week and then and then it's all over. That kind of a mentality. Um, not that I was, you know, overlooking the fight necessarily. I just feel like I just wasn't like in with the right kind of excitement and motivation um and then going through that definitely you know reflecting on how things went and why it went that way and kind of realizing that the mentality you know in camp need would need to be different to have a different outcome so i i and you know having two losses in a row never happened so i was genuinely starting to feel excited to get back and, and have an exciting performance and to not just not just win. Like even if I won last time split decision, it, it wasn't my best foot forward. It wasn't really a performance I would have been proud of in that fight, win or lose, whether the split decision went my way or not. Um, and I kind of felt that, that when they were about to call who won, you know, I kind of felt like win or lose, like this wasn't my, wasn't my night, you know? So 
Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm genuinely excited to have something to be proud of walking away from this time. Well, you're a great striker, but you also have utilized your grappling quite a bit to uh, to really get get your best performances. And I felt like in the last fight, you, you didn't use it quite as much. Is that something you're going to try to go back to in this one? Yeah, you know, I um, definitely feel like I need to, you know, I definitely feel like in the last fight, I, I should have used more of that. And, and maybe just part of that intensity being so low, it you know, it's hard to implement that part of the game. Um, but yeah, this, this fight, I definitely expect to be a lot more pressure and a lot more, um, you know, going back to, to what's, what's working, you know, I, I've had a lot of success on the ground and you know, I definitely feel like all of my opponents expect at some point to be getting to the ground or trying to not get to the ground. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm ready to, to be successful in this fight and have a fun finish. So, you know, probably we'll, we'll end up there. Is it nice to be on a card with honorary Canadian uh, Max Holloway once again? You guys were sharing a card in Edmonton. I wonder yeah. if you've seen him around. Um, I, I've seen him, you know, across, you know, being busy with other people, but I've, I've seen him around. Yeah, so I was super excited to see that he was the headliner of the card. Um, I actually, I know he wears those blessed headbands, and I wear Phenom headbands. I actually have them and sell them and stuff. Um, so I was actually hoping to pass one along to, to Max. So, um, yeah, I, I love the, the look. And, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of Max. So I'm definitely pulling for him in this fight and excited to be uh, on, the, on the card with him. Well, I'll be talking to him soon. I'll make sure to put that on his radar. I always appreciate it, Felicia. And, uh, best of luck this weekend. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks. Pleased to be joined now by Julio Arce, who is back in the bantamweight division for a second straight time against Song Yudong. Now, you started your career early in the bantamweight division. What made you decide to go back? Um, I think the fact that these guys are just massive at 45. I'm, I'm way too tiny. You can clearly see the size difference between me and them. And I was just like, let's just dial in on the whole nutrition thing, and then let's come back down to 35, and then this is where I have to come back to. This is where I belong. Is that what it came down to? It was just uh, you enjoyed eating? Like it, it was it was about not ha wanting to keep the diet year-round? Well, in the regional circuit, you know, like before I had uh, Eric Pena, who else moved my nutrition, um, it, was, it wasn't like as structured. And I feel like, you know, that's where like things fell through the cracks and it made the, the weight cuts harder. And that's kind of that's on me. So I'm like, oh, man, I don't want to cut any more weight because like I felt a certain way making 35. And that was like in the regional circuit. I was back then. Now everything's dialed in and the weight cuts are simple. Well, you train with Burgos, who's a gigantic featherweight. I, I asked him last week what he weighs on fight night. And he says, I weigh anything from 150 to 195 pounds. I'm guessing it's probably on the latter side of things. Can you give me any sort of guess as to what he weighs on fight night? Ah, he's probably like a one in the 170s. He's a big boy, though. Yeah, absolutely. I, well, I, I had interviewed him, and then I interviewed Ali Akinta. And Ali Akinta walked away, and I said to him, I go, there's no way that Ali Akinta weighs more than you do right now. And he, I mean, he agreed. But you're right. <laughs> I mean, he's just a giant guy for 45, and that's the guy you're training with day in and day out. Yep. that's I'm with that, with that savage almost every single day in training. And not to mention Jimmy Rivera, who is a, a big bantamweight as well. So I'm sure that you and him are probably around the same size, right? Jimmy's a little shorter than me, but does not matter. That dude to me, he's, he's 6'3". <laughs> and everyone's 6'3". 
<laughs> Why is that? Because of how good he is uh, in, in the cage? Yeah, that too. <laughs> Gotta love Jimmy. Absolutely. Well, everything at the gym must be going well uh, with Burgos getting another win. It seems like New York is a, a lucky charm for him. 6-0 in New York. Have, have you spoken to him since uh, the fight? Yeah, um, you know, we well, we kind of like all just met. We have like this group chat. We all message him, you know, how proud of a, of him we are. It's like, it's insane. I mean, he, he sacrificed. He put all the work into get back into that win column and, you know, really make a stride towards the top. So he earned it, man. And, you know, I think now he's like, the people got to watch out. He's, he's a threat. Were you there on Saturday? I was not able to be there because, one, you know, since I'm fighting, you know, I'm fighting this Saturday. But I was watching through the TV. I was like cheering them on. I was like, man, I was in the training room every day with them. So it's kind of like being in there with them. Well, I felt bad because him and uh, Billy fought right after Gaethje and Chandler. And I was in the yeah, building. People had an what was that? <laughs> it's like people had the adrenaline dump from like that. They're like Chandler and Gaethje were like, everyone's like, ah. And then like they're putting on a great fight. And it's like they just had like a dump. They're like. I'm like, that's not fair. I'm like, I'm like, that was a freaking great fight. And they left it all out there. So it, it, it was, you know, it, 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 was, it, it was tough for the, like, the, you know, like the people in the crowd. But you know what? Even Dana Whitehead is like, those guys would be, would, if, if the Gagey fight was after, it was like, they would have been getting everyone riled up because their fight was amazing. I was saying that today. I said, in hindsight, if I could redo it, and, I, and you can't go three, three Whitman in a row, I would have put it after Billy versus Shane because that would have been a great appetizer for, for that fight. And then, you know, you got a nice palate cleanser afterwards with Frankie and Cheeto and then the two title fights. I think that would have been the, the correct order. But again, it's hind, mm -hmm. hindsight's twenty twenty. That's right. Well, being in the arena, though, uh, it, it just sounded like you could hear a pin drop during that fight. And I was thinking, this fight, 95% of the time, is the fight of the night. It's just... It, and Shane said that the fight had an impact on him going into the first round. He, not only was he sick during the fight week, but he said that watching that fight beforehand got the nerves kind of going, and he said that he felt a little bit flat in the first. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like I I found out later. You know, like he he told us you know, he was felt a little sick through like before, but of course, you know, you got like a, a fight that just they're going ballistic. Everyone's like on the edge of their seats. And then he's like, I got to step my game up. So I, I see how he feels. It's, it's, well, especially because Shane always puts on a great show. He puts on amazing fights. Like, you can't, you have, you can't tell me you ever seen one fight where it was like a boring Shane fight. Like, that dude's just a monster. He makes every freaking fight exciting. Well, yeah, those fights don't exist. But a, a fight like that with yourself also pretty much doesn't exist. It's uh, been great watch, watching you, especially in the bantamweight division. I think that you're going to be a beast in this division. Uh, but Song Yudong's a great challenge. And that's a fight, again, where I think if any fight can can nab that fight of the night away from Rodriguez and Holloway, it's, it's this fight. Because both of you guys are great action fighters. What, what do you think of Song Yudong? Next, next tough task in front of me. Kids got, you know... He's young, he's explosive, he's athletic, he's got a, a big following, he's got a huge, uh, huge, huge name, but he's a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a big name. And, but he's the next person that I have to get past in order to climb the top. What was your first thought when his name crossed your desk? I'm like, sign it, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, 
And, and the cut to bantamweight seems like it's been going uh, pretty well for you. I mean, the first one was no problem, and you look you look great right now. Yeah, it's what's going super smooth, man. I feel fantastic. And I heard in another interview, you're eating and stuff during fight week, too. It's not like you're, you're killing yourself to make 135. Yeah, no. It's like, and it shouldn't be like that. So I'm eating the way I'm supposed to eat. I feel great, feel energetic, and I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Well, we missed you not having you in the octagon. It was about a two-year layoff. What happened during that layoff, and why were you unable to compete? So during that layoff, I had to get double elbow surgery. So, I mean, I don't know if you can see. Though, like, I see one scar. Probably like, yeah, so I, like, I got one scar in this elbow here, and then in the other elbow, like I have uh, the scar pretty much like right here in the front and like on the side right here. So my arms were literally stuck. I look like a dinosaur. Look at a T-Rex. And I had to get that fixed, so you know I had to take some time off, and then just made some adjustments. Sat down with the coaches, and we were like, All right, "Let's make the move to 35. That's where we're supposed to be." And then we committed to make the jump, and now here we are. So does this feel kind of like the second or maybe even third chapter of your career because you're fighting in the new weight class. Your your elbows probably feel much better. You probably got a lot more range as a result of that. It must, it must feel like you're in a, a whole new, almost a whole new career. A whole new chapter, a whole new journey, and um, along like throughout this whole ride, I'm just excited all the way through. I'm hungry, I'm fired up, and I'm looking to make a statement in, in bantamweight. Well, you did that in your last fight. We're looking forward to watching you do it again this weekend against Song Yudong. Uh, thanks, Julio. Always a pleasure catching up with you, and uh, hopefully we get to see you in there again soon, sooner rather than later. That we need to make up for lost time. Yeah, I got, I'm going to look by look by next year. I want to fight three times. I'm looking if I get, you know, I'm staying busy. I don't want to wait. All right, sir. Well, look forward to speaking to you again soon. Take care. Have a good one. Big thanks to all of our guests on this week's TSN MMA Show interview edition. Justin Gaethje, Max Holloway, Yair Rodriguez, Felicia Spencer, and Julio Arce. Pleasure speaking to all of them and looking forward to this weekend's UFC Fight Night card. Headlined by Holloway and Rodriguez should be a lot of fun. And for those listening that are in Canada, this will not air on TSN. It will air exclusively on Fight Pass in Canada. Some of these off-prime events, unfortunately, we don't have the rights to air. So it's not our choice, but uh, we will have it in Canada on Fight Pass. So make sure you check it out there. And next week, looking forward to interviewing some of the top fighters on the card headlined by Ketlin Vieira and Misha Tate. I know I'll be speaking with a, a lot of those from uh, Washington State next week. you got Michael Chiesa on the card. You've, of course, got Misha Tate, who is headlining the card, as well as Terrence McKinney, all of whom have fought in Yakima, Washington, or uh, trained, rather, in Yakima, Washington at some point in time. So, pleasure to speak with all three of them, and uh, I'm sure we'll have more guests on next week's show. Looking forward to that, and we'll see you then. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.